confident humility, the need to have that level of confidence and project that level of confidence that inspires people. But if it's not combined with humility, if, if it's if it's combined with bravado, nobody wants to listen to you. Confident humility perspective has really been the hallmark to all of the successes I've had. And when I try to mentor people, you know, now at this stage of my career, it's what I try to instill in them the most. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back for another fun episode. Today, I have for you Guy Bergstaller, who is president over at Vitacost.com where he started out as the chief marketing officer, then quickly transitioned into the president's role once the business was integrated into the Kroger enterprise. Vitacost.com is a leading online retailer and direct marketer of natural, organic, and sustainable health and wellness products. Now, back to Guy, he's also served in senior leadership roles over at so many companies that you're familiar with, like Albertsons, Garden of Life, Tractor Supply Company, and Dick's Sporting Goods. Guy, welcome to lead the team. Morning, Ben. Nice to uh, nice to see you. Thank oh, you for man. the opportunity. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I love this segment of of, of, of in this industry. I think it's going to be such an interesting conversation. But before we get into that, y'all, we were just talking about some of our our days on opposite side of the sporting retail uh, spectrum. Mm -hmm. With this background in Dick Sporting Goods, I used to work for the Sports Authority, and we were just commenting about how these those two businesses attracted so many ex jocks, <laughs> and then <laughs> didn't always pan out too well on the basketball court. Uh, did you play basketball? Speak for, your, speak for yourself, Ben. I did okay. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let's. I know competitive sports is part of your background. You know. Tell me, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So, you know, ever since I was uh, little, I've just been blessed to grow up in an area where sports meant a lot. And mm -hmm. I've learned so much from sports and athletics that have translated to my professional career and yep. was fortunate to uh, to accomplish an awful lot. Didn't never, never quite made it to the big, big, but uh, did get recruited and, and somewhat drafted uh, for Major League Baseball, but uh, ne never, never really panned out. So played my wow. college my college time. And then actually the best uh, experiences I had were when I was in that, you know, 20 to 30 range and played a lot of tournament ball, basketball and baseball up and down the East Coast. And it was uh, a joy. I met so many great people. And again, athletics is just a huge part of, of my life. When you say tournament ball, what do you mean by tournament ball? So believe it or not, uh, there are uh, tournaments and competitions, especially basketball, baseball, you know, where, where I excelled, uh, where when you're out of college and, you know, you're not really competing at a, at a, a pro level, uh, for mm -hmm. sure, um, they just have hosted events, hosted tournaments. And there's kids and people and adults from, you know, various states that migrate to these tournaments. And it's typically over a three, four, five day, you know, weekend, and you just play, 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 whatever, whether it's baseball or basketball. And, uh, you know, the competition is incredibly stiff and the, the, the talent is off the charts. Uh, and it was just a whole bunch of fun. And it was young in my marital days as well. So it drove my wife nuts, you know, quite often. But as I 
used to say to her, until my body breaks, I need to do this. Now that it's broken, I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> eventually, especially in basketball, I feel like something does get messed up eventually. For me, it was the uh, incessant spraining of ankles that just oh did, not, did oh just not go away. Speaking of that, Ben, both of mine are are now purple, and I think that's the way I, they'll they'll be the rest of my <laughs> <It's> permanent. <laughs> yeah, permanent spraining. Yeah. Uh, so. Thinking about that, what have you taken away from your competitive sports days that informs your leadership? Oh, so much. I mean, I, I the, the correlation between team sport, I mean, individual sport too, but team sport mm -hmm. and the business world uh, are immense. There, there are so many, there's so many uh, correlations. Uh, one, the, the ability to adapt to changing situations, you know, quickly mm -hmm. and make decisions you know, based on your environment uh, very, very quickly. Uh, the other is to get along with a whole bunch of different types of personalities. Uh, you know, in order to form a great team, you've got all walks of life, right? You've got very aggressive folks. You've got very passive folks. You've got leaderships, leadership type people. You've got tactical type executors. And you have to uh, understand what makes them tick. Um, and that's what mm -hmm. drives a team forward. And then just from a drive perspective, I mean, the, the thrill of competition and the drive to win and succeed is as evident in the athletic world, certainly as it is in the professional world. Mm -hmm. um, and then practice, right? Practice, practice, practice. Uh, you've got to put in a lot of reps in order to get good. And I think that holds very true in the professional world as well. You can't expect to know everything. You can't expect to read a document one time and move on. You know, you've you've got to constantly study, constantly improve. Um, so those those are some very very similar attributes. Yeah, I mean, so many great ways to think about it. And sometimes, you know, parents are thinking about, well, what should I get my kid involved in? And I always say, I mean, sports is a great place to start, even if they're not dominating the league. It's a great way to learn about team dynamics. Um, when do you so looking? It sounds like a lot of those reflections are, are, of course, looking back, or if you're playing when you're getting older, you're starting to process this stuff. When do you? And I'm just always curious. Did you have a coach that sort of made this connection to life and sports, or did you just kind of read about it, or, or where does it? Where does that key reflection point? We're like, wait, maybe playing basketball and baseball is more than just winning the game. Maybe this is going to help me succeed in life in some way. Man, well, I love that question. I think you know the reality there. It's it's all of the above, right? So uh, to to become a leader, and thankfully I was I was raised by some really great parents and have some incredible siblings. But I really I really believe that to be a great leader, and not to even say that I am one, um, but it's all of the above. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have to be very very aware of your surroundings. You have to constantly you know read and follow up and improve. But also, I've been exposed to a tons of a ton of different coaching styles, and mm -hmm. from each one of them, you know, I've gleaned something different. And the same in the professional world. You know, I've been around a bit. I've worked for some great companies, and especially at the senior executive level, at the CEO level, I've worked for a variety of different personas. And mm -hmm. I look back at all of them, and you can say one was better than the other. Blah blah blah. Not true. The reality is it's the blend of all of them. It's the experience that you glean from each and every different, you know, type of persona that adds value to who you are um, as a leader. Yeah, I like that. Someone someone said to me, Ben, there are frustrating bosses, but there are no bad bosses because you're going to they're all going to be someone that you can learn from. 
sometimes yeah. sometimes things what not to do. In the, in the heat of in the heat of the moment, it could get frustrating, right? But when you look back on it, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. Well, so shifting gears a little bit in your leadership journey, have you ever had to fake it till you make it? <clears throat> I think a simple answer there would be yes. And I think if most most people that have you know find their way into a leadership role, if they said otherwise, I'd ask them to reconsider. There's always that point in time when you have to have the faith and confidence in yourself to get to a next level. Mm. Uh, sometimes that opportunity or those opportunities don't they don't easily present themselves. Um, so you've got to prepare and be ready without a doubt mm. to the best of your ability. You have to always be prepared for that next step in order to grow. Um, but even when you grow into it, there are surprises that you just did not expect, right? Or you just had no experience in, and you kind of have to gut your way through those and um, be transparent and be open-minded about it and not take the, you know, the bravado that you do know everything. And and I think, at least in my experience, um, that type of uh, vulnerability has built a lot of trust with my colleagues and my cohorts to say, hey, you know, this guy's willing to listen to me. He's mm -hmm. willing to learn from me. Um, and the trust and the equity you build out of that helps you become a better leader and helps you influence people better in the future. Yeah, I like that. And it's, it also helps, you know, just keeping that in mind to take the role that pops up or the opportunity, even if you haven't done exactly that same job before. I mean, uh, looking at your background, you've, you've moved from different companies. You're probably thrown into different industries sometimes. And it seems like you've always you know, found a way to persevere there. What was there one time where you really felt like you had to step into that fake it till you make it deal, or maybe you felt particularly vulnerable because you bit off a big, a big opportunity, but uh, knew, knew that you'd have to make a big jump. You're calling me out here, Ben. You're calling me <laughs> out. <laughs> I, I would give uh, I would give an example that's very, very near and dear to me. And it goes mm -hmm. back, it predates my Dick Sporting Goods experience. Just prior, I was with PetSmart and PetSmart was in a in a major transition. And the person that that hired me into the, the role, and I was in the marketing, uh, the marketing discipline at the time and leaned heavy on the creative side. And the person that hired me into the role with the chief marketing officer um, at the time was released like within three weeks of me starting. So my boss uh, was, was released and I ended up reporting direct to the president of the company. And I was kind of a kid more or less at the time. I had some good experience on the agency side and, and was an entrepreneur, ran an agency, but this was a new corporate world for me. And I remember um, the first time and stepping into a, a presentation, we were reinventing the, the brand. It was, you know, kind of a big deal and a lot of really talented, awesome people at PetSmart. And I was this kind of kid sitting at the, the conference room, you know, board table making this presentation. And uh, never in my life have I utilized the, uh, the, the aspect of humor in a more meaningful way, because there were, there were some glitches in the presentation where uh, it was uncertain where I was going. It was uncertain what the reaction was going to be. And, you know, just using some lighthearted humor and letting my mm. guard down a bit and, and being very nervous about doing that, by the way, in that type of an environment, uh, totally opened up the, the landscape and like guards were let down mm. and I felt 
part of the part of the group almost instantaneously. And it was such a rewarding experience that I've carried with me, you know, throughout. Okay. There's a, there's a sensitivity to exposing yourself like that, you know, for sure. But uh, for me, it, it worked like a charm. So was it, I'm assuming it was like self-depreciating humor in, in the actually, moment? Or? In that case, actually, not really. Okay. Not really. Although, although I've done that plenty of times as well. Do you, uh, do you no, fall back on humor a good bit when like in those difficult moments to sort of shift their in? Yeah, I think, you know, to say humor uh, these days might be a little extreme. It, it's levity, right? It, it's mm. understanding the audience and knowing that most times when there's a problem to solve, you know, there's there's high anxiety. There, there's high anxiety amongst the group and having the ability to kind of understand that and and internalize that and then react in a way that gets people to relax a little bit. You know, mm. like we're, we're running a business. It's super important. But, um, you know, no, you're not good to anyone if you're filled with with anxiety and concern. So mm. alleviating that through levity uh, is is a very good thing. And oftentimes, to your point, Ben, self-deprecation works wonders. You know, people let their guard down a bit when they yeah. know that you're making yourself vulnerable. I can already see, my, see a theme leading with levity. Oh, which, I like it. I like it. You know, Having been in the retail world, though, uh, it can get intense. You know, you're trying intense. to meet certain seasonal things where things got to be on the shelf, the right things at the right price. And if you miss that window of opportunity, you're stuck with a bunch of inventory uh, and other other problems. When did you get hooked on retail? Because you went deep on retail and you just stuck with it. Again, a few times where you swerved into, you know, Garden of Life, you know, I guess supplying uh food to the to the retail industry but what was it that that drew you into retail and kept you there yeah so i started my career as i referenced on the agency side and that exposed me to a variety of clients in the educational you know uh, um, platform um, financial platform retail platform uh, manufacturing you name it but when i broke out of the agency world and and really chose to transition my career, the opportunity came with uh, with an old friend, Circuit City. And I'm not sure if you re remember Circuit City or not, but I assume oh, yeah. we're similar in age. I'm sure you do. We we um, had that. We had that in my small town in Alabama. Yep. 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 And it was a, a great, great company at the time. And what hooked me was the uh, the gentleman that from the board of directors that recruited me in and, and actually, you know, signed the work that, that got me the job. He allowed me to explore well beyond uh, my marketing and advertising discipline. And he allowed me to learn from the best, uh, mm. the merchandising side of things, finance, HR, logistics, supply chain, and really, you know, kind of said, Guy, if you're going to learn and grow and really improve yourself as a marketer, you need to understand the whole business. It mm. just happened to be retail, but that hooked me. I mean, I just was fascinated okay. with, with the discipline and all the different um, touch points that it involved and how to bring them all together, you know, for the benefit of the business that fascinated me. And then, as you know, Ben, when you get into a certain discipline and you succeed at it, the next opportunities seem to follow suit, right? They seem to be in a similar glide path. And that's what happened to me. And I was so fortunate to land with such quality brands mm -hmm. and brands of passion, you know, like uh, the pet mm -hmm. industry, like I'm a an animal and a pet lover extraordinaire, certainly the sporting goods industry. 
um, even, you know, farm and fleet with tractor supply, just the outdoors and, and the work ethic mm. involved with those types of people. So I became fascinated with the lifestyle and certainly fascinated with the business discipline. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. You've also said that you've learned about leadership from your pets and, and your your love of animals. Tell me yeah. more about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I think animals bring so much to your life. And, uh, you know, we've got dogs and, and cats, but I think I've had pretty much every animal at some stretch along the way. And uh, they they just bring so much to your life in terms of you know, uh, adding empathy and adding compassion, mm. uh, understanding that, you know, if, if you treat them with kindness and with love and respect that what you get back is a hundredfold, that's mm. not always the case with people, but most often it is with pets. Um, and it's just a, a huge, you know, learning experience. And, and also, mm. you know, they are somewhat reliant on you, you know, so mm. uh, they can't necessarily take care of themselves, you know, all the time. And from a leadership perspective, knowing that you have to involve yourself, you have to put yourself out there, you have to make sure that they're okay, not unlike the colleagues that, you know, you're responsible for in a leadership mm. role. Um, so all of that, you know, has been a great learning experience. I think at the root of it, though, is just that what you get back, you know, if you do it well, if you do it well, what you get back in return is 10x. Well, this is a time of conversation for me because we have a six month old Shih Tzu dog <laughs> and we've been puppy when we, when we got him. And I have to admit, I was not really hardcore on board with it, but my, my wife and my, and my daughter worked on me hard and I have enjoyed it, but it has pushed me and it helps me realize, I was like, I, I often think about this. I'm like, it's really helped me realize how self-centered I really am, especially with a puppy with sleep. It's like having a kid again, and, you know, but so true, you know, taking him out periodically and we have three people and one pet. It's been sort of tag team the effort, sure. but I, but I can see, I can see the empathy, empathy side of what you're saying, especially because they're going to, and also one of the things that comes up for me is how present the dog is. The dog does not really care about the past or the future. The dog cares about right now well said uh, ben well said and it it really draws me into that so you know i'm 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 also like we have this we're we're in this neighborhood and i like to go out for walks and whatnot periodically and it's changed my walks quite a bit because a little shih tzu dog does not walk as fast uh he wants to <laughs> yeah. sniff a lot so i have to slow down but one of my other guests i was like you know he he recommended he's like you can walk more slowly just get a weight vest so I've got a 30 pound weight vest that I'll put on with this little Shih Tzu and I'll probably You're look getting like, your like work too. Wait, what's that? You're getting your work too. Well, that's the, that's the idea. Uh, bending over to pick up dog poop with a 30 pound weight vest can be a little interesting. <laughs> it works the abs a little bit to do that. But anyway, it's, uh, there are many ways I think to think about pets and leadership. And I don't think we've ever had that in 195 episodes. This hasn't come up. So that's awesome. So That's awesome. That. Go, going back to your career, 
one of the things that came up for me and looking like this is a guy who has really you know focused so much and been successful in brick and mortar retail. Now here you are leading the charge, you know, in 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 a dot com direct to consumer retail operation. What shifts or changes have you had to rethink about your leadership style in this new world, if at all? Yeah, no, there's there's plenty. And uh, I think the biggest of which, however, is the customer service component. Um, mm. it, it's super important in any business, right? I think it's the number one uh, you know, thing to pay attention to in any business model. But in a pure play e-commerce model, the opportunities for customers to not choose you is is so much more because you don't have them contained in an environment, right? They can uh, mm -hmm. very easily look at a screen and compare and contrast. And it's very hard to present your products, especially when you're selling the same products that others sell. It's mm -hmm. very hard to present yours in a way that influences them to purchase with you. So it's that it's that full customer cycle that you have to pay even more attention to on the front side and the back side, because in the shopping decision, in that, in that part of the, the mm. shopping journey, it's way more competitive. I mean, it's touch of a button competitive. And, you know, people say that in a brick and mortar, well, yeah, you have access to your phone and access to your app and you can look up another retailer and see if it's cheaper there or whatever, but you are in that venue, you know, and your mindset is in a purchasing mindset. And you're inspired by that 360 degree space in e-commerce. It's it's very very different. So really paying attention to that pre-customer experience and that post-customer experience amplifies tremendously in a dot-com model. So what advice do you have for leaders who are entering the e-commerce world, or maybe they've been in the e-commerce world, but that's not that's not been their primary focus, and now. Hey, this is a big deal for them, and, they, and they've got to be rethinking their leadership style. Yeah, it, it's it's that it's it's pay very very close attention uh, to the audience that you're looking to acquire, and learn as much about them as possible, so that you can create the most dynamic, the most uh, superior pre and post customer experience. And then when it comes to that that point of decision, you know, which is which is whether it's the app in a, in a mobile modal or the desktop in, in a web modal. Um, when it comes time to that, you, you, have, you have to be as concerned about the process as you are about the aesthetic. And you know it's no different than, than brick and mortar retail in that regard. Like you want people to be engaged and enthralled in the environment, but when it comes and inspired, but when it comes time to make that purchasing decision, that's mano a mano. And you got to really, really take care of that. It's similar in the in the dot com world, except the modals are very, very different. So uh, you have to make sure that that aesthetic is inspiring and informative and entertaining mm -hmm. and engaging. But then when it comes to that decision point, that checkout, that better be clean and simple and you know very, very easy to relate to on the customer yes. side. Like don't throw a lot of guesswork into that piece of it or you will lose that customer. You say that your genuine passion for your profession and relentless drive to learn has opened many doors. What doors has it opened? Pretty much every opportunity I've had. 
Um, I've been very, very fortunate uh, to be presented with uh, a stream of incredible opportunities. Some have lasted longer than others, but all have taught me something very, very significant um, along the way. <clears throat> but I think, you know, the, the drive and the passion and where those doors have opened, uh, I, th I think back on it now, and, and sometimes I wonder myself, was it just luck or was it some, you know, sort of like master plan that I intuitively created? Because uh, although I will say that consumer electronics wasn't necessarily my passion at that time, we were at, at Circus, we were at the forefront of changing the consumer electronics landscape. And I, and I was at the, and I got to be at the forefront of that. So I became passionate. Um, it led to an opportunity in the pet industry. And way prior to PetSmart, I've been a pet and animal you know, lover extraordinaire that led to an opportunity at Dick's Sporting Goods. And I've been an athlete, diehard athlete and passionate athlete you know, my whole life. So those, those types of doors, again, were they coincidence? Were they some sort of you know, unconstructed master plan? I'm not so sure. But once I got on that path, um, I started to seek those out, right? So from that point on, it wasn't just take anything or look at any opportunity. Mm. It was find opportunities that met, met my passions, that that aligned with my passions. So part of it was a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of luck, a little bit of opportunity. And then once I got on that train, it was like, okay, now it's a strategy. You know, now it's a strategy because the enjoyment that comes from working in a passion discipline is beyond explanation. And I, uh, I, I, I feel bad for people that are working in a, in a role or in a situation that they just dread, because I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm energized every day. And a large part of it is because I love it. The health and wellness space. Oh my gosh, what a great time to be in this business. Natural, organic, sustainable helps people, mm -hmm. helps the planet. Like what an awesome time to be in that space. So I'm, I'm well, waxing I, I out a bit there. Yeah. Well, no, I, I love it. And it's, it's a great reminder to people what can happen. And also I think it's important for people to think about this because sometimes I mean, you're, you're a business leader in an industry that you're passionate about. So, you know, sports, pets, sustainable, organic, uh, these are circles and industries of people, but you've got a skill set that applies to all of them. So there's some people, maybe listeners, maybe frustrated, and they're thinking about, well, I need to go become, I want to be an artist, or I want to go pursue my passion in terms of a career. But it's another to think about, well, maybe I can be involved in it from a different perspective and bring my business background or whatever background you have, you know, uh, listeners have and apply it to that industry and be connected there. Um, wow, uh, man, you, you hit on something. If you, if you don't mind me sharing a, a yeah. little bit of a story, cause you, you just hit on something really meaningful to me. Um, I went into the advertising business way back when coming out of school um, as a designer, I, I was I was so creatively motivated in every aspect of creative mm -hmm. architecture, three dimensional design, copywriting, graphic design, um, it, even fine arts. You know, music, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. Like, and I thought if I don't follow my passion in those regards, then I will never live up to my personal expectations. 
And what I learned was exactly what you said. Hmm. If you're if you follow them blindly without a, a motivation towards a career, they will be more of a hobby than a career. And and hobby's probably a, a, a wrong word to use there. <clears throat> but if you're fortunate enough to be able to find a way to combine the two, to combine that passion, you know, with with a profession. Um, and then exploit that and manifest that, that's when the true, you know, opportunities open. So mm. I came into the, you know, it, as a as a graphic designer and then was given opportunities to learn about business. Yes. And it was like, okay, how can creativity influence business? And then that parlayed into a more of a marketing type of opportunity. It parlayed more into a business leadership, mm-hmm. you know, opportunity all because I stayed open-minded to where does this path that I'm so passionate about lead to other things to be passionate about. Yeah, so many great insights in that and a great example of how to leverage your skill set to move you into different industries. It's very similar to how I ended up doing podcasting during the pandemic. I enjoy meeting with people, training, leadership training and whatnot, (laughs) but a lot of that in person went away during the pandemic and uh, sure. at least in person and went virtual and that really turned things around. So I'm kind of bringing some of that to podcasting. And now, you know, here we are with a podcasting enterprise. So uh, it's, oh, awesome, it's huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's amazing how you can do that. But if you focus on what you enjoy, what you're passionate about, there's often a way to apply it to the business world. And I, th- I think when you said earlier about a hobby, I think to me that feels right because for some people that is enough. Like, you know what, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do my job during the day and then I'll save my passion uh, for the weekends. But there's an opportunity if you, if, and I think you said the word open minded, if you're open minded about how you can apply your, your passion and, and your other skill sets, you can often find that overlap and that sweet spot and make awesome. something you know, really cool from it. And I love the fact that you've done it several times. It's usually just like one passion. You've got pets, athletics, you know, sustainable organic. Now, now you just need to find a company that brings it all together. So you can bring, <laughs> does Vitacost do pet food? We do. Okay. We do. All right. Yeah. I don't, and yeah. that fuels and, athletes. And well, we have, food. we have sport and fitness products as well. Right. And, and the right, cleanest well, amongst the group. So it's all tied together. <laughs> yeah. So where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, man, that, that is so, so cool. Uh, last question here, maybe, maybe two more questions. What you say that you owe the majority of your success to your wife and kids. Uh, how so? It, it sounds a bit cliche and, you know, I grew up in a little bit different time than today. Like, uh, I remark to some of my younger colleagues, um, I try to remind them, you know, that they have it, like it, call it better call it different. I'm not sure. But, you know, back when I was raising kids in, in my generation, it really wasn't an option. Like there was no, there was no mm. paternal leave. Let's put it that way. And yeah. uh, when we started having kids, you know, that, that was something that I always, I was frustrated by, not that I wanted the time off, but to get to where you ultimately want to get to professionally is a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of time sacrifice. And it, it typically comes with your family because you have to devote so much time and energy mm-hmm. towards learning your craft and mastering your craft and all of the, the business ethics that go around with that. And where does the sacrifice come in? It's in your family. 
And I was fortunate to have a, a wife who like wanted to be a mom, like to the core. So when we had kids, it was like, you know, she wanted nothing else but to, to be that person and, and support me in helping my profession grow so that I could help support the family in the way that we wanted to be supported. And she was also very understanding of those time uh, issues and, mm -hmm. and knew that, that that's what it was going to take and supported me every stretch of the way. I can remember times when I worked three, four jobs, like literally worked around the clock and uh, she would bring the kids when they were very young. I remember this one specifically, I, I gave, I got parts out of a warehouse from like, uh, 11 o'clock PM to like five o'clock AM. I sat by myself in a warehouse and people would come salespeople from around the country would come to this warehouse to pick up parts for their, their day's journey. And she would bring the kids at that hour of the night to the warehouse just to spend time with me. And in the downtime, wow. as there was a lot, we would color, we would draw, we would make things. I would let them ride the conveyor belts, you know, we'd go spin around in chairs. We'd do all that stuff. And and she did that, you know, like she mm -hmm. she would control her schedule and the kids schedule to help support me and, and my career. So I owe awful lot, owe an awful lot mm -hmm. uh, to her and, and to those kids. And we had fun doing it. Don't get me wrong. It was uh, pretty joyful. Yeah, a great reminder that parenting is a team sport. It may be the <laughs> ultimate team sport. And it's you can, as you said about teams earlier, you know, you can design your team in many ways. Uh, and still, still win. But the key is, I think, in all this out here is be thoughtful about it. You know, it sounds like yeah. you and your wife are on the same page when kids came around, uh, the roles that you're going to play and have that conversation. Uh, have, <laughs> probably have it before you have kids, if possible, <laughs> to figure that out. <laughs> Some people wait and, and sometimes it works out fine. Good advice, uh, but, Pat. Good advice. Yeah. It's all right. So, Guy, this has been an awful lot of fun today. Uh, what's your parting thought for our listeners? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I use a term in my own kind of persona makeup, Ben, called that I say, like to say confident, confident humility. And um, to me, it's probably, you know, it's something that I have manifested over the years and, and tried to build my persona around more and more because I can't say enough about you know, in a leadership role, the, the need to have that level of confidence and project that level of confidence that inspires people. But mm -hmm. if it's not combined with humility, if, if it's if it's combined with bravado, nobody wants to listen to you, right? And, and you're, you very quickly mm -hmm. shut people off. Um, but if it's combined with humility, meaning I don't know everything, I want to learn from you. Uh, I don't care what level of the organization you're at, but you have something to contribute that is meaningful. Let's build on that. Let's grow that. That that perspective, that confident humility perspective has really been the hallmark to all of the successes I've had. And when I try to mentor people, you know, now at this stage of my career, it's what I try to instill in them the most is look at that through a very, very, very projected lens. Um, understand what I'm saying when I use that term, um, and then, you know, understand the importance of it in building your own career path. Such great advice there. And I think it's a great way to, to wind this up because I, I think that's something that's probably come through already to listeners in the interview, but it really puts a nice bow on it. But 
confident humility, confidence and humility combined create a growth mindset. It creates listening, innovation, creativity, because you're open to what's happening and you're building a team that's going to communicate to you versus you just communicating to them what to do. And uh, it seems like a great way to, to really keep things going and build momentum and have success with your team. Guy, thanks for coming on the show today. Ben, thank you so much, man. Good to meet you. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of The Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.